MC Lobshire, the host of the Cash Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cash flow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cash flow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Laubscher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. And in today's show, we're going to look at how you can position yourself to become a market crypto and reset sniper. I'm joined on the show today by Francis Hunt. Francis uh, did his MBA through Bond University Australia, and he's also known for his macroeconomic views with special reference to the Western nation's sovereign debt situations and the fallout this could cause with reference to inflation and possible future social upheaval and unrest. The associated income distribution disparities being amplified have strong potential social consequences. Francis says he's suffering from attention to deficit syndrome as an explanation for his concerns on the Western world's sovereign debt position. Uh, He has specific opinions on how to best for families and individuals to protect their wealth from the fallout that he anticipates. You set the nature of society according to the behavior you incentivize, as Francis would say. This is one of his maxims, and Francis believes short-term incentives and powerful insider groups, lobbyists, and big corporations have contributed to an imbalance in the global community that represent the few at the expense of the masses. He has spoken about his dream of a far more equitable economic and political structure to replace and overturn the insider lobbyist, big corporate and political elite whose interests have been sacrosanct. From this, it is clear that he sees and considers the taxpayer-funded bailouts in an exceptionally poor light and the moral hazard and priorities implied therein makes him deeply uncomfortable. He is a futurist in terms of his thinking style, believing different scenario outcomes can be mentally modeled and prepared for by setting the time aside for this activity. Are you an investor looking for passive cash flow but don't have the time to explore your options? Discover Real Estate. It's the best option for passive income that savvy investors have been turning to for years to generate income and build wealth. But the reality is real estate investing takes expertise, market knowledge, and time. So what do you do if you don't have the time or market knowledge? Discover how many business investors have found a way to generate cash flow from real estate investing. Their secret? They partner with proven private real estate investment funds. Four Peaks Capital Partners have created a system that allows accredited investors the opportunity to invest in undervalued assets to generate passive income and capital gains. Invest with the cash flow experts and sit back while Four Peaks does all the work. 
Call Four Peaks Capital Partners at 877-5-INCOME. That's 877-5-INCOME or go to privateincomeinvesting.com. An offer to buy or sell securities is only made by a private placement memorandum. Prospective investors must read the PPM in its entirety before making an investment decision. Francis, welcome to the show. Hey, MC, delighted to be with you. Can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yes, certainly. Well, uh, I'm sitting before you as a uh, what I would describe as a lifestyle trader. So I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, a little bit about that. But uh, as we discussed prior, um, you know, we come from similar land um, of sunshine uh, and great uh, political intrigue. Um, but uh, yeah, so around about. A narrative I was just doing earlier was kind of 1987 is when I began my wealth creation uh, journey and it led to a long, interesting winding uh, road. It was during the 80s that my uh, mum and dad used to sit in the lounge on the couch and I was sort of teenage and I'd watch them checking the papers for the unit trusts, you know, how much they would, how well they were doing. And they would comment to each other. And my father at that time, he used to drive all the way to Pretoria to work. Um, he'd left private business and he was studying a doctorate and he, he was very involved in engineering um, with a crowd in Pretoria. Every day he drove there. And it was interesting to me, this dichotomy of them actually making money um, in a passive sense and actually going to work to work for money. It kind of, I was looking at these two things and I was deciding which one I want. And as someone who's inherently lazy, I love the idea of this notion of your money working for you because during that 80s period, it was sort of from 82 all the way into, and this was around about 87 now, and I'll tell you the full story. It was all a bull market in equities and they were engaged heavily in equities and their parents had passed away about three or four years before and they put lump sums in there. Uh, and around about that time, I got a little windfall um, from my aunt uh, and she'd passed on and she only had nieces and nephews. And uh, my whole net worth was this collection of pounds. And I was called into the army for August 87 because I was an actuarial student and I uh, bailed out of uh, doing that. And there was an August intake for the two-year then military conscription. And I put my entire net worth into the stock market because I'd heard nothing but good news about this game, you know. Uh, and here it was, my parents, I'd watched them over years discussing and checking the prices in the paper, and I was part of the story. And at that time, also, lots of brokers were buying Porsches in South Africa. It was a great wealth uh, effect, and then equities was the, the hot thing. Um, and literally a month later, which was October of 87, um, the largest stock map crash in a single day occurred. It dropped over 20% in a single day. And by the time it was done falling over a sustained period, it had lost about 40%, uh, nigh on 40%. Luckily for me, I suppose that I was, I was co-opted into this military service. I didn't need food. Um, I was fed. I didn't need clothes. I was given uniforms. Uh, and uh, actually what income I did earn, almost all of it was disposable. Uh, and so I put it monthly into the same two funds, which were Old Mutual and Guard Bank that used to be uh, the unit trust, some of those names you might know. Uh, yeah. And I began accumulating extra units at this crash low. Um, thankfully, by the time my military service ended, I became an officer. My salary just went higher and higher and the amount I contributed just got bigger and bigger. And as I said, someone polishing my boots for me by the time I left and a nicer canteen and authority and all of this. But essentially, I still had no overheads. Um, I didn't even run a car then. Other guys had cars and we sort of bum a ride. And if you had a uniform, you got picked up anyway um, and taken home. So uh, it was, I suppose, a lesson. Um, part of wealth building, timing is critical. Understanding cycle. 
And I, in terms of that lump sum and net worth, I'd certainly got that one wrong, um, badly wrong. But what did happen is that I turned the short-term investment, it was probably going to be a long-term one anyway, into a long-term investment. And uh, I did double down in essence by continuing to invest. But this was more a case of um, I took a long-term view uh, and it was disposable income. And thankfully, a large part of that came back. So I suppose from a financial story, um, that was the beginning of my interest in markets and uh, trading. More generally, personally, you know, South Africa, born Cape Town, grew up Joburg, um, mad for the rugby and the sports and all of those good things. Um, but at the same time as we're talking politically, um, I think there's a kind of thought that you have to always be a futurist. Whether I'm trading, I'm a price behavior futurist. If I'm making decisions for my family or where I want to choose to live, you have to be a situational futurist. In other words, the, 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 the harvest of tomorrow are in the seeds of today. There are actually far more clues about where we're going to end up if you truly grasp and understand the lay of the land now. Um, and you and I both came to the same conclusion about the difficult road South Africa has to walk. Um, and in terms of uh, the framing of how that's going to be framed and how much you can actually fight in terms of that, you've got to be smart. Choose the battles that you can win. Choose the battles that you can win, uh, sort of like the art of war, as we were discussing, um, and don't uh, avoid the fight in all instances. And it's the same with trading. Unfortunately, in this wealth development career, as I mentor people and I teach them a method about preparing this, many people see it as an arm wrestle and standing to and sticking to your guns. This sounds like manhood. This sounds like manliness, you know, and in politics, U-turns is suicide. Actually, um, recognizing um, when there is a battle that is worth winning and for which you have the means to do so and taking it on versus uh, battles that should never be fought is part of actually being successful in life. Um, you can't roll the boulder up the hill. It's much easier to stand at the top of the hill and roll it down. Um, so recognize where you can do productive things um, with greater ease. So a large part of what I've done is also recognizing cycle. Um, I, I was very intricately involved uh, after moving to the UK in 99, 2000 in property. Everyone told me, no ways, you should never do that. 89, 92, biggest property crash, everything. I saw a macroeconomic cycle that was going to be sustained low interest rates. This was globalization. This was production being moved to China. This was Walmart. Eventually, everything is outsourced to China. And this was that whole cycle. So inflation was very low. Costs of production very reduced global trade exceedingly high, quite topical now with the Trump narrative, so we can come back to that one, um, and eventually a lower need for inflation, uh, interest rates because low inflation, and also a character called Greenspan, um, who was probably the architect of the greatest liquidity experiment ever created. And he actually cut his teeth in that same 87 crash by reflating the stock market um, then, and it's a trick he pulled and rinsed and repeated that made him the darling of Wall Street many times over in the dot-com crash um, where America had a, a recession but not too deep um, and then reflating the next asset bubble crisis which was property itself. So I, I position for cycle. Sometimes you don't have to be a brilliant executor. You just have to position well and do good execution. People um, sometimes stick to their guns. Um, there's no point being in an out-of-season business. There's no point being a fax machine salesman today. 
you know, um, generally. You've got to position yourself for success. Uh, and that's recognizing cycles. So I'm a big believer in understanding your environment, understanding cycles, seeing from whence that goes. That sees people like you and I be out of South Africa, even though we were born in it. That doesn't mean I don't love to visit it and I don't have a huge amount of friends, but I have concern for them. Um, the, the trajectory for me was not a positive one. And now you have these land grabs with uh, Ramaphosa, etc. And I, I worry that I'm going to have to buy a piece of land and rehome farmers and friends from, uh, <laughs> from uh, South Africa. And that's something I certainly hope to be proven wrong on. You know, nothing would make me happier to be proven uh, incorrect about. Yeah, you make so many good points about understanding the environment now and then also looking at things that are happening that a lot of people are not paying attention to that is, quote-unquote, planting the seeds uh, of the, the harvest that will be in, in the future. And that also, as you mentioned, depends where you position yourself, your assets, and, and so forth. Now, one of the things um, that I also like to point out is you're in Cyprus right now. So some of my listeners, and, and, and there are some Cashflow Ninja listeners actually in Cyprus. So, right. um, uh, um, But some of, for the listeners not familiar, could you share a little bit more about the island, what attracted uh, you to the island? and uh, uh, share a little bit about life over there. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so I came to the conclusion as, as part of becoming what I describe a lifestyle trader, you've got to put the L, the capital L, into the lifestyle. Uh, and that means um, ensuring, ensuring you, you also get time away from your core activity. One of the best ways to stay fresh in that which you love, particularly in a, a, a taxing and emotionally um, quite uh, potentially stressful environment such as trading markets and also supporting others that are going through a very stressful period. We had a lot of guys join us that were on the crypto side. And as you probably aware, um, you had Bitcoin ramping up to 20,000. And since then, it's, it's, it's given back 75% of that. So there can be a lot of emotional energy and a lot of pain for people that are learning the hard way about blow-off tops in, in markets, no matter how compelling any narrative is. Um, whenever there's human aspect in it, there's going to be fear and greed and over-purchase over, over markets and then oversold markets, which will continue to occur. But anyway, so the, the lifestyle part of it is um, the UK didn't provide enough sunshine for me in one level. It didn't provide enough outdoor uh, activity uh, for me, um, as an example, and I enjoy being outdoors. Literally a short, uh, very short drive for me. In fact, I, I, I overlook the ocean. So I've got this almost African bushveld cliffs and dirt roads down to the sea. And it's largely uninhabited. I got sick of traffic, sick of jammed roads. You know, you travel the M25. It's the biggest parking lot in the world in the UK. You want to go to Heathrow or Gatwick, invariably you have to get on it. Um, so I like the idea of actually being able to get places if I jump in my car. It's a very car-orientated society, the states where you are in South Africa. Um, but other, other European cities, are, you know, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of pressure on not using public transport. And I didn't enjoy public transport in the UK. You were cheek to jowl when you were working um, hours and all of that. So I always want to be off-peak. Um, if I'm using a beach out of the holiday seasons, I want that lifestyle back. I can, I'm learning um, and perfecting my kite surfing skills. It's literally, I can see from my house when the, the, the kites are out. I've got a scuba diving place right on, uh, right at 
dirt bike uh, ride away from me. I can go either on roads or I can take a dirt bike and I have two dirt bikes on order. Um, I've got a road bike. Essentially, they're not too strict on helmets around here. It's stinking hot. I can put an open face on if I feel like it or I can just jog down to the village with my sunglasses. Oh, if I come off, I'm going to pay. Um, fair enough. But it's kind of lifestyle. There's not too many people on the cars. There's not that aggression. It's not that city urbanized. Um, you know, where everybody just walks past each other and doesn't acknowledge each other. It's that community feel. It's the warmth, the Greek culture. I mean, South Cyprus is uh, ortho Greek Orthodox. There's generally a good sense of morality, family orientated. It's not the same theft. I had an Aprilia sports superbike stolen in um, the UK. Um, I had carbon racing bikes stolen out of sheds. Um, I just had enough of having things that I like to have continually get ripped off me. Um, so you come here, there's less of that. It's not to say you're ever 100% safe, but there's less of that. The cost of living is lower. Part of just living a good life is not actually Rolls Royces and Lambos for me. Actually, uh, I'm as, you know, with the roads, I have a Toyota Hilux 2.8 GX, a uh, place to throw some scuba kit or, or a kite in the back and a dog um, is actually make me a happy man. And you can, I swim in the sea daily. I've got a awesome gym that's attached to a five-star hotel and it's literally the only hotel in the bay um i've got a beautiful postcard view um and it's hot and i've got a swimming pool and guess what it's all looked after the gardens the swimming pool i jump in it when i want it uh it's there as i need it and uh, i'm kind of mobile i traveled we did a you know a theory weekend in vegas recently we go to london i can have the awesome retail therapy that oxford streets and london <laughs> offers but i don't have to live it every day and i don't have to live the gray in the winter so that's kind of the benefits of what i'm loving about um the cypriot experience it's also what i'd call the fringe of Europe. Um, it's where Russia meets Europe. Uh, a lot of Russians, uh, you know, I know the banks won't be bailed out here. So I'm comfortable with that. You know, right. um, it's almost better the devil, you know, I'm a great believer going on tourism where there's just been a terrorist attack or a shark attack. You know, I think in Egypt, in Sharm el Sheikh, that's when everyone's going to be super careful. Um, right. It's cheap. No one else is going and it's going to be empty. That off peakness is part of contrarianism. You know, if you want to be, you've got to be prepared to do things on a Monday morning um, and go enjoy yourself. Um, so weekends are blurred into weeks. And because I'm also doing what I love, um, I've never had a problem working on a Sunday afternoon or late at night on a Saturday night if I'm in flow. Um, right. So that's another thing about alignment. Um, too many folk... Um, uh, and this was a pivotal moment for me. I'm sprawling a bit here, but uh, I think it might be of value. Uh, 87 was a seminal moment in starting. 2008 was when I decided I wanted to be the full-time lifestyle trader. And I was working jobs. I had, a, uh, I had a business in the property uh, sector that I had to say goodbye to. I had a marriage I had to say goodbye to. I had, uh, during 2008-9, um, my two parents contracted cancer and both passed away within 18 months. I had to say goodbye to. Um, this was a seminal um, moment in my time. And I decided, you know what? Life's not a rehearsal. You've got to be that guy you want to be. And if, you, uh, if you've decided that's lifestyle trader, be it. And moving to Cyprus is, is just another piece in living out who you claim to be and self-actualizing. Oh, I mean, I'm on the first time just tipped on the wrong side of 50. You don't know how many more days or innings you got left. You know, right. in the very best, um, already 15 minutes into the second half of your football <laughs> minutes of your football match. You know, if you get 30 more. Right. So, you know, if you've, you've got, if you've got 
uh, eight innings um, and you're going to make 80, you've played five, you know. So um, you you got to do the things you want to do. And the last innings, you might not be, you might be a bit feeble. You don't want to fall off a motorcycle then. So I've got three bikes now. I'll do a bit of dirt, do a bit of this, take my partner with me on the, on the gravel, go on the road. Um, that's what makes me happy. It feels like freedom. I enjoy it. I feel uh, the wind in my hair, MC. It just feels good. Um, so it's to live that existence. Um, this, this, this destination fulfills it for me. You make so many good points. And one of the things that just came up to is a lot of people talk about retirement, this, and you know, obviously that's marketing genius <laughs> at, at, its, at its core from Wall Street in the United States, where that whole concept basically started of retirement, right? And if you look really, really deep down and you, and you peel everything away, it's not the retirement that people are looking for, it's freedom. And if it's freedom that you're looking for, why not start living with freedom today and live that life? Because as you mentioned, it's not a rehearsal. So I love that philosophy. So, uh, and appreciate the points to you about contrarian because that ties into a lot of the, uh, yeah, a lot of the things that you talk about at, at Crypto Sniper. So I figured um, changing a little bit of gears, one of the things that we could jump into, you've mentioned Alan Greenspan, the darling of Wall Street. You've mentioned some of the monetary uh, policies that were out there and this shapes uh, and, and provides the environment that the entire world functions in. And this was, a, this was one of the, the, well, one of the core building blocks that one has to understand and be cognizant about um, to basically know what environment you're operating in to be successful in. Can you elaborate a little bit more of your view on that and some of the problems that you've identified in your journey? Yes. Well, my skepticism towards the broader financial services started really early. Um, as part of that 87 journey, as I mentioned, I, I did a glorious year of actuarial study and I worked in the actuarial department of the then Anglo-American life that was in downtown Bramfontein. Uh, in fact, not Bramfontein, South Joburg, um, heading to the Oriental Plaza. Uh, Anglo-American, a massive conglomerate player in South Africa, as you know, big holder of shares in SAB and all of that, later to become Southern Life that then moved to Rondebosch in the Cape, if you know that as someone from yep. Stellenbosch. Uh, anyway, uh, we used to do the calculations, big policies that got um, uh, retired, surrendered for their value, which was essentially the traditional way people save for retirement in, the, in that era um, was to buy a policy for your retirement from a broker. And sometimes they'd inject a bit of life cover and then there was an endowment element, which was your investment vehicle. And the, what, what I quickly discovered as a young man is that essentially the first three years of contributions um, amounted to nothing. You had a zero surrender value. In other words, that policy actually had negative unit values. They front-loaded the broker's cost to sold it to you, which was often 72% of the first two years. The, the life house that sold to you front-loaded all the admin fees. In other words, it was a 30-year term and you had to stick to it. And it was, right. forced, it was forced investment. It wasn't flexible like mutual funds or trackers as you get today, which are far better financial uh, vehicles. And those options came out later. They were innovations. In fact, um, it was a South African that took unit-based investment into London um, uh, first. But the long term, you bought these policies. When you go to the UK, you have these smooth policies with profits. You know, it's such a nice line, with profits. All that meant is there was a board of investors that took your money, invested some of it, and gave you some of the growth back, and the rest they put in company reserves. Right. 
as backup for them. And then they demutualized and split all those reserves to the shareholders, even though it was the policyholders' money. <laughs> so right. there was a demutualization wave, which was just an orchestrated manner of theft. Although some policyholders did get some shares, the people that obviously bought more of the shares, you did a lot better buying the shares than by owning the policy. Yep. Um, so I realized this is a, this is a, a game where the unwise gets um, get shaken out. And looking after your own financial wealth building strategy is something it's far too important for you to delegate to somebody else. Financial education is intentionally, I think you would have had the likes of Robert Kiyosaki and other people that said these things don't get taught in school for a reason <laughs> so right. that you can continue to outsource it to someone else to live off your money. Um, and that unfortunately comes at, at a great cost at the returns for that. Um, and whether you're speaking to Robert Kiyosaki or more recently, I think it was, um, uh, Tony Robbins even did money, a book on money. You know, he, taught, he had to teach people some lessons about the effect of compounding, the effect of tax on your growth and a lot of things. Um, and a lot of these things of things I've, I was already aware of was actually a lot about compounding, time value, etc. cetera. Um, so it, it stunned me how poor value the financial system is. Then 2008, bringing it right forward from then, I was already pretty skeptic. And then we saw, you know, the whole collateralized debt obligations, Mr. Greenspan's liquidity experiment where everything could be solved by just creating uh, very low rates. And all you do is you roll from one asset bubble into the next. Um, eventually, each one has to be shaken out when it overperforms because of human nature, uh, greed, and it goes too far, starts discounting growth too far in. Note we're talking like this as the SP500 has made all-time new highs, um, and all of these things continue to go. And we're doing this in an environment, back, going back to the equity example, where money is being borrowed because debt is so cheap. And it is utilized to pump the share and buy their own share back. So people are retiring equity at an ever higher level and loading in debt. Now, all I know is that cycle ends and then it all has to be unwound. Um, so at the moment, you know, I'm not a mad fan of equity, highs or not. I can see from the chart that it's been juiced, um, but that doesn't mean it represents value. So that's the difference between, I suppose, a fundamental um, outlook uh, and a technical analyst, which I also am a chartist uh, outlook, in that supposedly you should be buying new highs and moves to new highs, but they can often lead to blow-off moments and later collapses, especially in an environment where supposedly, again, I don't know if it's a fake narrative because it's difficult to discern what's real or not, that you have a president and his Federal Reserve that are in combat with each other, um, mainly coming from Trump's side where he's saying you know, they're doing an interest rate tightening cycle on my watch, which invariably leads to recession. Um, uh, normally, we're, it actually takes, the, the average typical is 34 months interestingly enough, um, and it's quite tight statistically. So it can be five months this way or that way that you typically get a recession. Um, and I'm quite concerned that 34 months would be up around about uh, October of this year. From the first moment, the first interest rate tick happened, that very first 0.25. Yep. Um, they haven't been particularly aggressive. They're becoming slowly, and we're doing so off an exceedingly low base. But the problem is we've loaded up with so much debt. The truth is they can't, by force of necessity, go too far, and we could roll into recession on very still while still being in very, very low interest rates. And then once you tip it into it, you lose the market sentiment, and everyone goes into panic. Even dropping the rates back to where they were won't put the genie back in the bottle because once you've caused a pile of dominoes to start 
cascading and falling, um, you could end up with the great unwind. And my concern for everybody in the next great financial reset is that its scale will dwarf all before it. Never before have we been so globally interconnected. You've got to remember the depression in the US. Largely, Europe was a place, a long boat ride away. Um, and Asia didn't even talk to uh, us. You know, there was a Marco Polo Silk Road that you traveled on a camel once. You know, that was our connectivity and the opium wars and a bit of that. Since then, we're, everything is tied. And the global leadership um, often have what I call, like we had a, in my assessment, a Shanghai Accord when China went de from zero debt to huge debt, pumping heat into the economy after the 09 collapse, being the buyer of all resorts. They carried the can for world growth and then were exhausted uh, and then they're in deep trouble. And then suddenly all the, the, the G8 leaders got together uh, and they controlled that narrative. So there is a bit of a, there is, I can't, I can't say I don't see actors working in cohesion on many points as well. There is a game. There is a bit of a game going on. And the more you understand about the game, the more you can uh, speculate as to what's to happen next. You can't play drafts when someone's playing 3D chess with you and there's an up move as well as a left and a right for every knight, bishop and everything. You're just under-skilled for it and you're never going to guess right. You're moving the wrong piece in the wrong place and there's a whole dimension you're not seeing. Um, and, I, and I fear many people are in that situation. These guys have got a 3-4D chess game on the go uh, and people don't even understand the planes, never mind the rules. And they're just trying to play basic drafts. Yeah, and here in the United States, for example, I mean, sentiment, uh, if you just walk amongst people and look at the behavior of people, uh, the two places where they pr uh, primarily save for or have their life savings is number one, their house, which the values have climbed back up again. Everybody feels rich again because now there's equity back into the house. And then the equity market, the stock market. So all of a sudden, uh, you start seeing people doing stuff that they would not normally do. I mean, second houses and, you know, beach houses are back on the cards and toys and all these things. And when you look at uh, kind of that, um, yeah, you, you need to start treading a little bit lightly of, of what's going on and buyer beware. Again, that contrarian uh, thinking. Um, in the market cycle that we are currently in, you talk about the great reset. What is the what is the time frame that you're looking at? I know this is very this is the hardest part of it, right? Um, where do where do you think we are right now, and how much do you think we still have left to go in this in this upturn in the in this current cycle? Sure, I've marked that question, and I'm just going to come in first with a comment on what you said. Many yeah. people think the Federal Reserve and central banks generally work for you. Right. and the economy as a whole. They don't. They work for the people that put them into power. Yeah. Um, and in fact, they're often, uh, I would assess, behind closed doors, many things that are agreed or unagreed. Uh, one of the things I'm most known for is calling the collapse of the euro to the Swiss franc, not once, but twice. Um, prior to anyone knowing about the southern Mediterranean stroke Greek crisis in 2009, went on holiday, had a pending order at the 1.5 level, major collapse to below parity on the euro Swiss franc as all that came out then came out. And that was a theme that went on for two or three years, you know, drag Spain, Italy, and those things haven't gone away either into that discussion. And then the peg, when they pegged it at 1.2, um, the one central banker, um, this was the one that followed the previous one whose wife was speculating in the euro Swiss franc. 
So the wife had a brokerage account and was speculating. I don't know how many wives are big Euro Swiss franc Forex traders, but the wife of the one that was fired after they found out, the next right. one came in and said, the floor is central to what we do. Having called for the collapse um, and heard him say that, I then brought forward my prediction for when that collapse would occur. The fact that he made comment on it proved that there was a clamor and he was under pressure to comment on it. Um, and everyone said, but you just went totally contrary to him. And I said, I just know he doesn't work for me. And if they're going to pull the rug, they're going to pull the rug when you're not looking. And of course, uh, Draghi came out and said, we'll do whatever it takes. Um, and decided to print an immense amount of money and the euro spilled uh, incredibly. And they walked and brokers went uh, to the wall. Um, Alpari went bankrupt. FXCM lost a huge amount of money, had to be recapitalized. I'm talking about they just people that were buying the trade, they just got gapped. In, in a matter of hours, you had a 30% move in a, <laughs> in a currency, which is unheard of. This isn't cryptos now. Yeah. Um, we're talking about two major nations' currencies for which stability is a desired norm. Um, so that's, that's my take on central banks. They don't work for you. They work for those who put in power. And people need to remember that. Greenspan uh, and all those that followed him reinflated the, re the, the housing retail boom not to make you feel good, that's a byproduct, to bail out the mark-to-market insolvent banks that were holding all the property loans and the real owners of that property yep. that could have the keys thrown back at their face and then have to put people in there, pay, insurance, uh, pay security guards to stop drug cartels from moving in and setting up drug dens in the likes of downtown Detroit and all of this and the asset being completely demolished. So it was to reflate the banking uh, people that were hopelessly underwater as a result of this. That's who they work for. A byproduct is um, the retail owners of homes get put back in the black. Um, within that, the owners of property have shifted to being more corporate than retail. A lot of people were thrown out of their homes. Hedge funds bought those properties. So actually more actors are benefiting from the echo bounce in the corporate realm than in the retail realm than before. Yep. Um, so we're seeing that happen. In the equity side, many people got shaken out on the last crashes on the equity. The retail equity trader is probably smaller than he was before. Many of the insiders and the corporate captains of the likes of Apple, Google, and the megacorps, and many of the other insiders, CEOs, uh, CFOs of major industries are the big players and the institutions have gained more from the S&P than the retail investor did in the initial move prior to the first collapse. So what we're actually seeing is a lot of the upside gains becoming more and more corporatized and taken away from the everyday retail in investor. Um, yes, there's a certain amount, but all that's gonna happen is you're gonna be called wealthy for owning a home and they're gonna tax you in the next downswing and saying you gotta do your bit to refloat the economy for all those that don't have. Uh, and you're gonna be squeezed. In fact, the long-term path, we've had the Talic Buterin of Ethereum and certain other thought leaders that come out of Yale and all of these leading academic institutions talking about, hey, we should all go the Airbnb model everyone should rent um, and properties should be made so expensive. They should be ward of state and fluid. And those that choose to hold on to property and actually be hoarders 
imagine owning your own home, being seen as a hoarder, uh, should actually um, pay extreme high holding tax for their relative benefit over everybody else. So they're creating an ursary extracting environment, that's the banking and interest rate environment, and a rental extracting environment. Um, and certain protocols um, and thought doctrines are very pro removing um, the retail marks off the land uh, till eventually we all urbanized, um, we all rental payers um, and the real assets of land and food. I mean, we've even had the chief say you don't own the water that rains down on the roof of your property that you own. Um, so I'm, I'm personally in terms of politics and the, what I refer to as the control structure, I'm seeing a highly draconian tendency. Um, you know, certain peoples were banned on YouTube. This was a simultaneous action taken by Spotify, YouTube, um, uh, uh, Pinterest, and various other miners. So you have competing, allegedly competing social media groups and technology companies that apparently all synchronously at one particular moment, all that are trying to differentiate themselves from each other all banned a particular party at a certain time. Unfortunately, you look a little bit closer and you see there's the Atlantic Committee with the likes of certain people that are coordinating um, the media responses to a lot of uh, news channels that are out there. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing the, the, the globalization has a dark side. We had the benefit of the low cost, everything made in, in China, but now we're also seeing the control across all countries. We're seeing transnational um, aspects. I, I was all for Brexit because I want to see the unwinding of huge bureaucratic, conglomeratized elite political classes that write laws for countries where they haven't even been voted in by those same people. Um, but I'm, I'm unpopular with a lot of people for that because they think, oh, you know, we won't be able to travel to Europe conveniently anymore. That's absolute uh, nonsense. They need your tourist dollar. They need your tourist pound. Um, it's just uh, I want to push back. And that's not nationalism. I'm not a nationalist. Um, I don't like the forces that are conglomeratizing at a transnational level. I see dark actors behind that. You're listening to Francis Hunt on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies will not only disrupt money, but every industry on the planet. These new innovations and technologies will affect every area of your life in the future. The cryptocurrency course teaches you everything that you need to know about getting started and profiting with cryptocurrencies and includes expert training from the top crypto experts in the world. You'll learn how to buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies, how to safely store your crypto, how to become a sound investor, even if you're just a beginner, and how to apply blockchain technology to your business. You can watch a free crypto masterclass 
and grab the crypto course at cashflowninja.com forward slash crypto course. You're listening to Francis Hunt on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and I'll back to our interview. Yeah, there, when when a lot of power is just as you mentioned, if it, if it's if it's consolidated, which is it's been financially now. You look at the you just mentioned uh, social media. I mean, to your point, when all of the the different companies that are claiming that they're competing for users and and so forth simultaneously do the same thing, then you know it's it, it's coordinated. It has to be. I mean, it's not even uh, speculation saying that. So, um, no, and absolutely to your point, I think there was someone that actually joked about the last downturn where Wall Street bought the American dream because they picked up most of the empty houses that was in there for pennies on the dollar. Uh, a, a lot of the hedge funds uh, are, are in it right now. And there's just so many different ways that they're monetizing it right now and profiting it from it now, actually uh, get, getting rid of a lot of the stuff, right? For seeing, for seeing what's coming ahead. One of the things, and let, let's touch on the crypto quick because you're in that space. This is a solution that the market came up with, a decentralized form of money. Um, what, uh, what are your views currently about on crypto? What's going on there? It gained a, and garnered a lot of attention, especially last year. Um, it's died off a little bit. I mean, you see a, a hit piece here, a hit piece there, still in, in, in media. Um, what, what do you see happening? in there yeah so i don't uh mci never seek to romanticize or contain fantasy about anything um when there's human hands involved you will get human traits appear therein um that is greed fear manipulation um conspiring uh and a variety of other things the principle um that was outlined in the original white paper for bitcoin is a noble one in my view in other words decentralized money that is not controlled by uh, government states however i would also say the best way to corner a few liber- libertarians um is uh, you have to win if you want to win the world over you need to you need to win over the most uh, cynical and most critically thinking group. Um, and in the war against rolling back centralization and uh, of power and the corruption that goes with that, um, it's quite likely that someone would try sell something as 100% decentralized that actually via um, a few clever cunning uh, quirks of fate and by design could in fact be controlled in very similar way. And they rinse and repeat the same uh, pattern that they've uh, sold, but just the actors have changed. It's kind of like every time you sold a new president as being 100% elected instead of selected, and that you think deep-seated psychological change is going to really happen and there's going to be a true change in policy. I mean, we've had many different presidents and some will be sniffy towards Israel, some will be very positively disposed, but the America's policy as a whole towards Israel, just as an example in case, never shifts. Um, so you just get given different actors and given the impression Obama was not uh, particularly warm and Trump is exceedingly warm, but the process is the same. Um, America gives the most money to any nation um, is Israel, and it's not the poorest nation by far in terms of gift aid. Yeah, a lot of things. So this is a way that you benchmark what actually really changes. And the, and the problem with government is that they have to run these they have to pretend to show elections and people have to pretend to vote. Um, um, corporations, people can be CEOs for lifetime. And so what we're actually seeing for me is the blurring of lines between uh, government and uh, corporatocracy uh, in terms of this. So actually you're getting corporate control 
on what news media you are entitled to see and making moral calls. Instead of just being the platform whereby they give people a voice by a, uh, you know, by a decide, uh, footstuts almost, you know, you, you accept that, which one that you don't want to hear, that doesn't sound reasonable, you opt out. Um, they're now saying, we making moral decisions on what is right to be aired uh, and not. So actually, you're having an act of government being done by a corporation, and there's actually dark committees behind that, that clearly, as you said, were organized, I'd call it synchronized. And anytime a group of people are got together and a, a collective action is taken against one party, it's fair to use the word conspiracy um, as much as the phrase has been um, uh, spoilt. And that has also been deemed a CIA dark stack tactic to actually contain it. All a conspiracy means is multiple actors, more than one, have uh, agreed on a policy to the detriment of a, a third party uh, not available. And that's clearly happened. Um, so there's a lot of that going uh, going on. We only have to look at the, the, the Julian Assange to see the perversion. It seems that there's a point where too much truth is a very costly thing um, to be a purveyor of, um, and that's a concern for me. So uh, we have we have an amoral um, tightening of control around us. And one of the best ways to do it is to make it not look governmental, but to make it look corporate. There's a number of reasons why this has happened. I mean, Microsoft got into trouble for antitrust uh, behavior and was threatened with being broken up and had to unbundle browsing and all of this. But actually, in the meantime, we've seen Google come out of nowhere. It runs Android, basically the most popular platform for all handheld devices. Given what mobile um, handheld devices have become, that's huge. The largest search engine um, running YouTube, the third largest search engine, and the, the biggest media proliferation, um, self-broadcasting. Uh, you've got actually an incredibly large conglomerate. Um, you've got a like you've got Apple at a trillion uh, market cap that's involved in a lot of those same spaces. You've got an oligopoly, not always a monopoly, but you've got an oligopoly, which just means just more than one, but can be a duopoly that's two or three, um, but not too many. So we're seeing this consolidation, and there's no antitrust on that. Why? Because they are delivering to the people that stand behind them that which they need. And it doesn't serve them to have these companies uh, broken up. And I don't hear the cries from capitalists saying, we have an elephant in the room here that needs breaking out into a few smaller animals rather that are independent of each other. Um, and that's not happening. So once again, why won't it happen? Because it doesn't serve for that to be discussed and for it to, uh, uh, to happen. So we're going towards a technologically driven corporatocracy, communistic realm, um, where everybody knows what you've said on a call, on a device like this that's being recorded. They'll have algos and AI that can analyze for keywords that they consider danger items. Um, your file can pop up if you've dropped too many of those in. They can take a closer look at you and find the reason to take you down on any reason. Um, you know, if you've not declared a paperclip expenditure that should have been in your business that went private, whatever the case may be. We all, there's so many laws, we're all guilty of breaking something. Um, and uh, I, I, I find it a little difficult to feel optimistic about the political and globalization meme and the corporatocracy. That said, if you prepare well, um, with the Great Reset, you can come out of this one of the few that are still very, very strong. And I'd rather understand the game, even if it's an uncomfortable message, than try ostriches out. 
ostriching it out means you get a kick in the ostrich backside when the the monster comes um, and uh, and takes you out. So it's far better to be heads up aware. Some people feel, oh, I don't like the energy of this. This takes me down. No. Understand the nature of the game. Human nature is domination by many. Um, I describe myself as a sigma, not a beat, an alpha uh, male, a sigma male. A sigmas don't seek to be dominated and they don't seek to dominate others. And I wish we could uh, make that cool again. The whole notion of alpha actually is domination of the weak and entrenching of power to appear strong so that the beaters uh, stay on your side as sidekicks and toe the line. And through that, you have a little bit of a core click through which you can um, manage the flock. Uh, Sigma stand alone um, and they're not afraid to walk alone. And, um, and they question the alphas and they expose them and alphas fear sigmas. And that kind of characterization is one I'm comfortable with. And it's questions that I ask, but it's also a dangerous place to be because control structures are there to self self-perpetuate. They don't like to be challenged. Um, and we're talking about something that probably started, you know, from the Napoleonic Wars and has involved societies, religion, and many other complex bits. It's so vast and so broad that most people can't comprehend that they give up. And that's exactly what they wish to provoke in you, a sense of giving up. Don't ever give up. Keep learning. Do it slowly. If you're feeling depressed by it all, take a break. Go kite surf. Remember, you get one life. Enjoy it love your family, do the, the small things and build your wealth uh, and say, whatever the circumstances of the stage, I'm going to maximize my part that I have in it and I'm going to get my, my time in the spotlight and I'm going to properly experience it. I mean, the deathbed experiences of the aged is you regret all the things you don't do. That's why I've traveled extensively. I travel for business out of pleasure as much as I love my business and I get the travel element. Um, I, I love water sports. I do it. I get submersed in it. I enjoy it. I film stuff. I trade. I meet uh, my clients, my accelerator clients that I've become really close to. They come and uh, will train with me in my home. Uh, I build real relationships with real people so that I'm not just an online presence. Um, and that, that's, that's, I, that's far, far from wanting to say I'm doing it all right. But those are the things I think are wise to do. I've failed forward immensely. Um, my entire early doors of my trading career was failing forward, blowing up accounts, not respecting the markets, not respecting leverage, not respecting uh, compound interest, going back to basics about wealth building. Slow money is better than fast money because fast money comes quickly and it will go quickly because you see it as casino money and house money that you can gamble with. Slow money that you've earned the hard way is money you value. Even though the same $100 here that was slow earned on many shifts as a waiter versus something made overnight in a spin of a coin, um, you don't psychologically understand how they have the same buying power, but you have a different relationship with them. So unraveling the mindset Growing in mindset to respect these things is a great, great journey. And it opens up immense. And let me tell you, um, you can still build wealth and you still can get to be really wealthy and you can still have an incredible uh, life. But you find you won't want to be in the midst of the control structure. I don't have to feel in New, I don't have to be in New York. I don't want to see Rockefeller Tower. I don't want to see Guggenheim this. I don't want to see the orchestrators of the control structure. I don't need to see high-rise control uh, uh, buildings that black out the sun near as much. I used to find cities exciting. Now, now, as I learn more and I understand what goes down in there, um, I'll 
like open spaces. I like spaces with animals. <laughs> They're simpler beasts to understand. I like water. I like the bush. Um, and I like time with people that understand what I'm about and don't censor me and tell me how I can express myself and don't try control. That's where Jordan Peterson was right. You know, they want to bring in transgenderism and all of that. You can't assert and make law language that people use. Fair play to whoever people want to be, whatever they think they are uh, and all of that. But you can't assert through law language. And that's a, that's a crossing of a line. And that is the beginning of controlling mind. Because one of the key things I teach in my trading is you are and you manifest. And one of the greatest disciplines are what come out of the mind, out of the mouth, sorry. So you are what you eat and you are what you say. Um, no communication is monodirectional. I'm hearing myself speak. Uh, and I'm nodding. I'm reprogramming my own brain with principles as I say them. Because I get, and, and on that point, I get lots of people saying, if you're so successful trading, why do you teach? Man, do you think you go to gym and you're awesome and you stay <laughs> fit and awesome? Or do you need to keep going back and refining those basics, redoing your deadlifts, your chins, and your bench press after a while when you just do bicep curls, get a bit lazy, and you're hitting the juice bar? You absolutely need to keep sharpening the source. Stephen Covey, a final step. You've got to go back and sheep sharpening. Teaching is amazing. It's so bio-directional. And it gives you the value that re-engaging yourself with your own principles and helping others. They ask questions that trigger you and take you back to when you were once there. And you relearn the value of the discipline. And it refines. It refines. Nothing grows in the shade. You have to give it the sunlight. You've got a great method. You've got a great thing. I, I, I absolutely needed to expose it to the elements to make it better. Um, there is no scarcity, truly. There truly is no scarcity. And those principles um, I love. And that's, if I've downed you a little bit about the nature of the control structure and everything, let me re-pump you up with all those things. Um, there is no scarcity. You can do it. You can live an awesome life. Retain the discipline over what you say because you're programming your mind. If I have a trade on my community that says, yeah, I know, the market always goes down straight after a buy. I jump on him straight away. I said... Your subconscious uh, mind does not understand irony. Um, one of the great books that I love, and I, I need to do a YouTube on my books and how they affected my life, both trading, mindset, uh, control structure, reset, everything, because they're all in there. Uh, and I've got a little bit of something. The power of the subconscious mind. Um, you, you have a conscious mind to be the gatekeeper for what programming goes in there. If you measure something, and you treat it as important. Uh, I tell the narrative in my theory weekend about a guy who really needed to lose weight and he was in the IT sector. He hated exercise and hated diet. He was American, by the way. I say <laughs> that in jest. Um, many very fit, amazing people in America and many of my clients, but um, he was classic IT geek uh, and he wanted to lose weight. And what he did is he got up every day and measured himself on a scale and built an Excel spreadsheet with a modest goal not this reach for the stars. Sometimes I battle with this reach for the stars philosophy, a modest goal that can be attainable. Sometimes you just need to win, win small. Oh, <laughs> then see. you can build on that and win big. And he put a Bollinger band, in other words, a standard deviation on either side of this curve that was taking him to his ideal weight. And he gave himself 18 months to do it. And all he did was measure his weight with a very good scale because he was a tech geek. Um, and, uh, capture it in his Excel sheet and see. And if he actually lost too much weight, he would binge intentionally. In other words, this was, this was awe-inspiring and it helped me develop my trading um, uh, process and the disciplines that I teach. Overperformance 
begets future underperformance. What happens when you overperform is you get overconfident. And this often happens with trading. After a while, guys do okay and they sometimes overperform with our methodology and they have the problem of making too much too soon. Yeah. What ends up happening? You set up your next failure. I have a, a Vimeo clip of, of how I made you know, 160,000 pounds in five days trading um, Robusta coffee. That was when it was a lot of money. It was in about 2006. It's probably double in terms of QE terms today. And the whole thing uh, hinged on the fact is it devastated me thereafter because nothing else was big enough high for me. It all had to be home runs from there. Cricket is one. You look at all the best cricketers. It's not the sixes that get them to 10,000 runs. Right. It's all with singles and twos, ones and twos, ones and twos. 10,000 runs is built on ones and twos, my friend. Uh, and in the same way with uh, trading success, small pattern, reasonable risk reward, uh, taken, profit banked. Um, it's not the home runs um, that do it. And, and that was fascinating. Anyway, going back to the man on the scale, he punished himself for overperformance and Ironically, funny enough, that resets your bio rhythm and makes the diet successful. He wasn't dieting. He made his goal without doing any diet consciously and without doing um, any, uh, any special exercise. And when people asked him, well, you must have done something. How did you lose weight? All you were doing were measuring. He said, I don't actually know. It might have been uh, a couple of times because I was doing this every day and reminding it and treating the measurement process as empirical and I was disciplined and I had my half pint in the morning, stood on the scale after a pee and that was the same every day um, that I was flagging to my subconscious mind and I may have taken a few more staircases than, than lifts every now and then. I might not have finished what was on my plate once or twice. I can't actively say at any point I denied myself. I didn't want to diet and I didn't want to exercise. But somehow by flagging to the power of your subconscious mind, that which you measure is important. And if you determine that which you want to measure, you're going to prioritize it and you're giving to the supercomputer in your mind that when you're sleeping is still ticking over. Uh, and you'll do things. You have the intelligence within you. You might put more turmeric or cinnamon in your food. Uh, it might boost your metabolism. You might take a colder water shower. Who knows? You're doing, all that wisdom will come forth without you even consciously being aware of it. And so, these things are fascinating. They're motivating and they're powerful and you can design an amazing existence within this control structure that still sees you live an incredible life, be an amazing example to others and, and create awesome, very well-informed citizens by your few family members and people that you educate around you. No, fantastic. And you make so many good points. And that ties into uh, the core philosophy just of, uh, of the show as well, because uh, one of the core messages in our show is to leave our families, communities and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values and principles to future generations, not just money. So Francis, if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? There's a great book on multi-generational wealth because you probably heard of the narratives three generations from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. Shirt sleeves just means blue collar worker poverty back to poverty again. And I sometimes think when I think of our lovely nation Mandela, Mbeki and Zuma uh, and we're back uh, in Africa, the worst parts of Africa again, sometimes it does, it's three generations. And the, the, the real control structure families, what can we learn from them? Because everything that supposedly imprisons you also gives you 
great lesson. Um, and the great lesson is they understand the transgenerational game. They've established a wisdom and they ensure that a wisdom passes through and that everyone understands that it's greater than any one individual and any one generation and that it has to be passed through. And the, the transgenerational, the best thing you give, they talk of the greatest resource being the people and the message they pass on. So the, the, the vessel for the wisdom is the person, the carrier of the message who then passes it on to the next generation and who perpetuates that so that you don't have... The blue collar man with a vision builds awesome company, the manager of it, but kind of benign neglect doesn't do so well. And then the third person who gets a drug addict and spoils it. The right. failure there is actually the manpower. The manpower didn't have the, the, the leadership and the characteristics of the first to carry through, to keep the growth and to keep the manifestation. If I was to, if I was to pass, what would that wisdom be? Um, I, would, uh, I would definitely uh, say, well, it's in the wisdom of understanding the game, the wisdom of recognizing that slow wealth is, is better than fast wealth. Um, too many people go into speculation to gap full saving they haven't made. In other words, they want the capstone of the privilege, the right to leverage yep. before they've even done the slow dough bit, you know, earning, saving the dull bits. They yep. just want the excitement. And that's the excitement genie. They want the instant transformation. They don't respect time and compound interest and the power of leverage. And what gives to you so fast can of course take away from you so fast. And many of the, the wealth families that have gamblers, they get a gambling habit or a drug habit or something. It's a massive eroder of wealth. Then trying to get back to their base level of where they're at. So I would, I would say wisdom, a document um, of wisdom on wealth building is probably the greatest uh, gift that you can give. And there's so much that has to be handed to that. And you start by programming mindset early on. Um, I'll remind you of the experiment you maybe had it heard before. The children for success, the ones that were given the marshmallow and told, if you avoid, you may eat it, but if you postpone that consumption, we will give you a second tomorrow. And they are left to sit in the room with their favorite marshmallow, chocolate, or and or consumer item and postpone consumption and the, the process. And they tracked all those as adults. And of course, those that postpone consumption for a return at childhood were those that succeeded far more highly in terms of wealth building. So become a producer, cease to be uh, an avid consumer. A simple life is a good life. Like I say, Hilux Bucky can buy it secondhand five years down the road. It's going to get scratched and scraped on the four rows. It don't need to be new. Uh, it can be secondhand and you can have it written off. That's not really an asset. That saving that you save by not buying a, a new Porsche 911 or Lambo, as they say in the crypto, everyone's to go wins Lambo time, um, is the difference between consumption. Um, and that's, the, that's unfortunately with a crypto audience is there's too many that are big on the status and when Lambo, when moon, when Lambo, when's the quick money coming again? Right. And the, the, the money that stays is the slow money. Uh, and very few people get the quick money and know to take off and put it in the slow pot. And one of the things is when you have hot money, this is the overperformance to underperformance point. Whenever someone has an outlier gain, I actually ask and suggest that they take the hot money because money in a trading or a leveraged environment or in a high volatility environment is a danger. It's hot money. It can change quickly. You take it quickly out 
or a large portion there and you put it in the freezer and you put it as cold money. That's, that's boring money. That's in the bank where it doesn't change on a day-to-day. But that means you've taken high volatility value and you've calmed it where it will be retained. And then you put it into your average saving plan. In other words, the capstone at the top of the pyramid, which is this right to leverage you've got to earn with all the layers, is actually a gift that must feed back to the slow dough layers that you should be laying. And if you don't understand you need the slow dough layers up the pyramid, you don't ever earn that right to leverage. Or if you go straight to it, you don't respect it and you get sent down to the bottom again with big blowouts, failed trading accounts, failing forward as I did in my trading career, trying to seize the gold ring at the top before I laid foundations. Absolutely. Francis, where can my listeners learn more about what you're up to? Uh, Where can they learn more about your services and follow you and stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with? Because you do speak all around the world too at conferences and events. Uh, Maybe some of them can catch you over there as well. Yes, that's very kind of you to uh, highlight. I will be speaking at the Anarcapuco in, uh, that's Mexico way in uh, Acapuca, beautiful place in February with the dollar vigilante um, on a lot of the key concepts, the reset sniper, the crypto sniper, and the market sniper. So on that, that's our three YouTube channels. So the three, you know, uh, why you should be focusing now. It's a major time where a reset is, could be imminent. Um, the markets, the alternative currencies, the crypto alternative to everyday fiat currencies in the crypto sniper, and then the methodology, which is what we learn and what we teach in trading and how you can become a successful lifestyle trader, but you have to disperse with fantasies. It's not for everybody. You have to grow. I actually look for the five M's and I'll leave you with this as a, as a buy point um, and, and the, the where people can come and join us. The three channels are the crypto sniper, the market sniper, and the, the reset sniper. The five M's are you need maturity. maturity. The first M, maturity doesn't just mean age. It doesn't have to mean a young person can't be mature, but you need to have made some money and lost some money and you need to own your own outcomes. Your mentor is not the reason why you failed. The market is not the reason why you failed. You need that maturity. Then you actually need some money the second M, you've got to have done something of value that someone else has seen as value so that you've made money, whether it's as an employee doing high value work as a professional, you've got to have learned a skill, something that can create and generate that seed capital. You can't dig yourself out of a hole. I've had financially backs against the wall people trying to leverage their way out back to cash flow positive and sanity. You can't trade your way out of under an environment of financial pressure. So you've got your maturity, you've got your money. Then you need to have, you need to have an understanding of mindset. You've got to recognize that this is a probability-based game. You've got to accept that there is no guaranteed outcomes if you're involved um, in the markets. Um, And that ties in with what do I do in the markets? The fourth M, the markets. Are they a buy at the moment? Are they trending? Are they long? Are they short? Where do I buy? Where do I have stock placements so I don't ever get killed when I'm inaccurate? And where do I take off? Do I have a high reward to low risk situation? That is the final M, which is methodology. And that's one of the most important. You've got to have process. Otherwise, in the absence of process, you come down to the lowest common denominator, emotional responses. And that is monkey brain. The amygdala that gives you that shock and stress and you give you an immediate emotional response. 
You are in a reduced state when you're like that. You're not in mindset and you have not responded in rational. You've responded in your primitive fear and greed responses, which is the saber-toothed tiger at the cave. In other words, fight or flight. It's panicking in and panicking out. Panic buying, FOMO, all of these concepts, lack of mindset, lack of methodology, lack also of maturity to recognize you in a diminished state. So your biology affects that. Your glucose has gone away. Those five M's we'll teach and people can learn more about it. The marketsniper.com is a website if people want to learn more. Um, it's not, as I say, for everybody. And it is a personal development program in disguise as well. And your market and your PL is your own personal feedback mechanism. Every time you've paid for a lesson, take the lesson. We don't go to correspondence university, pay for a course. And as it comes through the door, grab the material and throw it in the bin. You paid for that. Read it, take your message. And that's what I had to do. I had to take the lessons, learn, and then build the method to protect me from emotional responding. So that process, those five M's, if you have them, and it applies. Trading is a microcosm of all life. It's in the same way you've had, you know, uh, Robert Kiyosaki and property and all of these things. It's just a more amplified version. Um, one of the mindset guys that I studied under, incredibly powerful, says, in life generally, you can tiptoe around general weaknesses that you have and still make good on the bits where you're relatively strong. When you trade, your weaknesses are demons and they will stalk you. And it's like a leveraged environment. But the key thing is when you conquer one of those obstacles, you have transcended in your observational journey of growth and you have become less emotional, more dispassionate. Your golf game improves. Your relationship with your wife improves. You're supposed to be learning trading and you're a cooler, calmer driver uh, behind the wheel. Lots of things change. Um, and this is all possible. So this is why I say it's a microcosm of life and it's an accelerated version and you will you will find yourself, you will know thyself, and you will learn thyself. And if you're aligned and you're prepared to grow, this can be an incredible journey for you. And the stars are lifestyle trader. You can be in a beautiful, warm climate, kite surfing, living a bit of a dream for many, and at the same time, manifesting, enjoying yourself, and less under the control of the control structure. Fantastic. Well, Francis, thank, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. This has been fantastic to, uh, to connect and uh, to, to touch base. So I had a fantastic time, but thank you very much. Delighted to have been on. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja. Thank you for all your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at CashflowNinja.com or text CashflowNinja to 44. I'm also posting daily videos on Facebook and YouTube and will live stream weekly starting May 2018. 
To make sure you don't miss any of the live streams, please like and subscribe to my Facebook and YouTube platforms. I'm also dropping content on Instagram daily. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to get in on the action. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. That's our show for today. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.